Well, I was a college pastor before I was a worship pastor, before I was a youth pastor, before I was a lead pastor, before I was an intern, before I was just an ordinary dude. But there was this couple in my, my youth, my college ministry, and it was one of those things where I had to have a talk with them. Does everyone know what I mean by have to have a talk? Let me see. It's one of those things, it's not, it's, it's, it's no one's favorite thing, unless you're just weird, but where it's like that talk where you know you're going to be possibly stepping on some toes, you're possibly going to offend, you're possibly going to, even if you do it, you know, in perfect delivery and eloquence, that when you speak truth to somebody else, they have an option with what to do with that truth. If you agree, say amen. And I remember just this, I, I sat outside my buddy's house for like, Several, 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 several minutes, just kind of grabbing the wheel, like, okay, God, help me, Jesus. <sighs> so nervous. My, you know, you know, anyone know what I mean when it's like in your throat? Like just the butterflies, you know you've got to speak some, some hard truths, some things that need to be spoken, which really is a lost art in the church, but we've got to recover it so that we're radiant and shiny when Jesus comes. We need to speak truth and love into people's lives. So I go in there, and it's my buddy, and we were buddies. It's one of those things. How many know when you have a, a baseline type of relationship with somebody that's ba- ba- built around sports or around the weather, that'd be a really boring relationship, but, or, 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 you know, something sort of surfacey, superficial. How many know sometimes that first time going there is usually the hardest time? But how many know we've got to go there? That's the kind of people God's calling us to become, those who go there in community, and speak the truth of the gospel of Jesus into each other's lives. So, you know, we're kind of going, and <clears throat> there's just no, no real way to break that, hey, dude, I'm here because the Lord's been just, I, he's been agitating me because there's something I got to share with you. And would you know it? It was hard truth, dude. But he broke open. You see, I'm convinced in a world that lives with the posture of don't tell me the truth of my condition. The reality is when we know our condition and the sufficiency of our savior, we melt. We melt knowing that we don't have to stay stuck in our mess and our funk. We don't have to stay stuck in our patterns of rebellion and sin. And when I spoke those truths and I was weeping too, how many know people that we serve a God who is never afraid to go there with us to speak truth that sets us free? And even though I'm an imperfect vessel and, you know, I did all my pep talks in, the, in my car, that did you, didn't you know it? That on the other side of hearing truth and love and when there's a receptivity and a willingness to allow that truth to transform us, how many know that we were made for that kind of life? Come on, if you agree, say Amen. How many know we're not meant to live a life with our head down, our faces covered in shame? Come on, somebody, help me out this morning. We're not meant to live out of this narrative that says you're a failure, you've messed your life up. We are not meant to live out of that narrative. Did you know there's a greater narrative that has been spoken through the Son, Jesus Christ, who is the Word made flesh, the Word of God. He's spoken of your life and His intention for every life in this place and every life on this planet is to experience liberty and freedom from the tyranny of sin, the tyranny of having to run your own life on your own. It's the good news of the gospel. And after I spoke that truth to him, he melted. 
heaven came. You ever had that good cry? I don't even care if you haven't had a good cry. You ever had that experience where for once there were no facades, no cover-ups, you were laid bare before God and a fellow brother and sister? It kind of reminds me of the garden when they walked around naked and felt no shame. And yes, you have to say naked so it doesn't feel weird to say naked in church. Just kidding. Did you know we serve a God who is unafraid to simultaneously in one sentence describe at length the reality of our nature and the reality of the destruction and the chaos we make when we sin and choose to rule our own world and simultaneously in the same breath say, I have all the provision for your forgiveness, for your cleansing, for a brand new do-over. We serve an unbelievable God who can do that. Last week, we began this conversation about peace. We began this conversation about how sin, which is humanity's one long wild adventure of missing the mark, it literally means to miss the mark. How many have ever gone shooting arrows? Like there's missing the mark and then there's missing the mark. And usually, if we're honest, apart from the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit and the grace of Jesus working us, we're not all that interested of hitting any sort of target but the one we imagine and conjure up. And we talked about how sin, the result of human, human rebellion and treason against the king of the universe, sin is the vandalism of God's shalom. It's this wonderful picture, this beautiful biblical from Genesis to Revelation. Did you know we serve a God who wants his creation and the crown of his creation, namely his image-bearing people, humans, the person you're next to. He desires you to flourish in every capacity. Like, I got one amen. He literally wants you in every capacity to be well, to be whole. Like, we don't serve a God who's all... I want them to experience 10% of my goodness. I want to save 90% for later. We serve a God who unashamedly, unbashfully is bent on blessing and transforming our lives as we seek to live in light and align our lives to his truth. You can't, you can't, here's what I'm trying to say. You can't conjure up an image of God that is better than he actually is. (laughs) But what happens when we vandalize God's vision of flourishing and wholeness and relational dynamic connection and and personal awareness of who he's shaped us and made us to be and mental clarity and vision for life and hope for the future and passion to live fully for God in the now, the vandalism to this vision of shalom is sin. And there's an amazing psalm that I want us to dance through. Anybody want to dance this morning? There's an amazing psalm that in three movements, the psalmist does this. First three verses, he remembers all the times God cleaned up his mess. How many here today remember all the messes God's cleaned up in your life? The second stanza, 
all the ways they need God to come and clean up their mess again. Come on. Man, you got to be honest with someone today. And then the third stanza. The third stanza, the best. A vision of the covenant that God in Christ was going to come to make to enable us to live out his vision for flourishing. It's the best stanza. Psalm 85. Psalm 85. Is everybody happy? I feel God's pleasure. I was up at 2 a.m. today, not on my own choice. Making sure my daughter's not in here. She got nervous when I called her out the other day. Her sheets were wrinkled or messed up, so there you go. So she came and told us at 2 a.m. Come on, do I got any parents or grandparents in the house? They can mess up your shalom. Come on, somebody. With ruffled sheets. And because my mind never stops racing, when I get up at 2, it's hard to go back to bed. Do I have anybody else who has a hard time going back to bed? But I just declare that prophetic promise of the psalmist. He grants sleep to those he loves. And Lord, I know you love me. Come on, somebody. Psalm 85. We're going to just work our way through this whole psalm. So just breathe with me. I'll take us on a few trails, but we're going to anchor in this text. Um, I need you to, uh, Justin, I need you to change the uh, stage layout so I can see what's going on. If you can take the uh, stage layout. You, Lord, showed favor to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all your sins. You set aside all your wrath and you turned from your fierce anger. What a picture of God. If you missed all of those amazing things that God does, read these with me. One, two, three, go. Showed favor, restored fortunes, forgave iniquity, covered all sins, set aside wrath, Turn from fierce anger. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's a good day. Come on. This is who God is and this is what God does. Let me say that again. This is who God is and this is what God does. He is the God who shows favor. He's the God who restores, who forgives, who turns from his anger and the wrath that our sins deserve. And in his unbelievable compassion and mercy, he gives us grace instead. When we confess, amen? This is what God does. And what you see here in this passage, it's impossible. Come on, someone say it's impossible. It's impossible to separate the effects of sin spiritually from the effects of sin physically, socially, emotionally, relationally, and every other E. How many know we do a disservice in the church when we just talk about sin as a spiritual issue? It affects every single part of your existence. Praise God, we've got a Savior that's sufficient to put us back together. So, that's a good day to be in church right there. If you agree, say amen. amen. If you counted them, there were six positive, in, in, the, in, the, in the language the Bible's written, perfect statements. Do you know we serve a perfect God? But then here, look, here's a shift. Here's section two. Help me out. Look at this. So all those six perfects, obviously weren't perfect enough for the people of God. Restore us again. Come on, somebody say again. 
God, our Savior, put away your displeasure toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Will you not, say it with me, revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, your covenant love, Lord, and grant us your what? And the psalmist, he remembers God's past activity, which is always a good thing, because how many know he's faithful every time you go back to look? (laughs) And that, that remembrance led him to a place of petitioning in this in the reality of the people of God's exile. Does everyone know what I mean by exile? Exile goes two ways. Someone say two ways. Number one, you can literally be driven from a land that is yours and taken, uh, occupied by a foreign force or empire or ruler or regime. You are exiled from the land that was rightfully yours. Are you tracking with me? Or you can live in the land that is yours, but the oppressors come and live by, on your street. Are you tracking with me? Two forms. Clearly, the psalmist is, is speaking out of this exilic prophetic tradition and season in the life of Israel's uh, pursuit of trying to figure out how to obey the covenant God, Yahweh. And obviously, they're in this place of needing God to break in. And I'm telling you, beloved, we live in a day where we need God to break into our nation and into our city. It's not reading too much into the text that these three or four verses could become an anchor prayer that you and I can begin to cry out and pray to God for. Restore us. You've already done these things in the past, but here we are again, Lord. We're wallowing in our sin, walking in impurity and idolatry, violence and greed. But here's the, here's the fourfold petition. Look at this. Read them with me. Restore us again. Revive us. Show us your unfailing love. Grant us your salvation. Chad, this is a message about peace. You're right. Salvation and shalom are fun to say. And they're two sides to the same coin. When God saves, it looks like shalom, wholeness, well-being worked out in the everyday stuff of life. Come on, how many know he doesn't just want to save your soul? Come on, this thing's got to be working. He wants to save every part of your life. Are you tracking with me? Your relationships, your finances, your body, he wants to save you. God, the psalmist says, will you put away your displeasure? You still need to fix that screen, Justin, if you can. Just make it so I can see. I don't have to look back behind me. It'd be awesome. I love you. Will you put away your displeasure? Will you be angry forever? Aren't you glad that God does not live in a perpetual state of anger? Come on, somebody. He despises sin. Why? Because it's vandalism to his vision for a flourishing, whole, well-put, complete, amazing creation and crown of creation called humanity. But how many know that his anger may last for the night, but God desires to turn from his anger to pour out mercy. Mercy triumphs. It says this in James 2.13. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Come on, someone say, it triumphs over judgment. Surely, surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save. Someone said amen. amen. Nor his ears are dull to hear, but your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that you will not hear, for your hands are stained with blood. Let me see your hands. Your fingers with guilt. The people are walking in violence. Your lips have spoken falsely. Come on. Your tongue mutters wicked things. No one calls for justice and no one pleads a case with integrity. Do you see how that, that, that definition of sin 
the vandalism of God's shalom. How many know this is what's happening in the people while they're in exile? When they're in rebellion, this is what happens to you and I when we choose to go our own way instead of Yahweh's way. Sin separates us from the source. Everyone say source. The sustainer and the substance of peace. So you've got three S's there. When, when we walk in rebellion, we choose to go our own way, we're separated from the source, the sustainer, and the very substance of peace. Shalom broken down looks like violence and greed and injustice and lying and accusations. Am I talking to anyone today? No one. It results in what we are seeing in our culture in an unprecedented manner. The seemingly loss of a compass for right and wrong. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, many people have lost the compass. Where the scales of justice are tipped in favor of the haves, always at the expense of the have-nots. And he goes on to say this. Don't worry, good news is coming. But how many know we've got to hear the truth of our condition apart from God breaking in and changing us? For our offenses are what? And our sins testify against us. Our offenses are ever with us and we acknowledge our iniquity, rebellion and treachery against the Lord, turning our backs on our God, inciting revolt and oppression, uttering lies, our hearts. I'm, I'm trying to, this Psalm and these, these Isaiah passages are from this sort of the same era. And how many know it's usually the artists, the prophets, the artsy people who are usually can put into words or images the true condition of what's going on in people's hearts. How do you want to know what a culture values throughout history? Look at its art. Listen to the songs that it sings and particularly its value for human life. Those three things. And Isaiah, the prophet, is saying, God, dude, we're toast. That's the Hebrew word for... (laughs) Look at this. So justice is driven back. Look at this language. This language is unbelievable. Picture peace as a person roaming a street. Now look at this. Justice is driven back and righteousness stands at a distance. Truth has stumbled in the streets. Honesty cannot enter. Truth is nowhere to be found. Whoever shuns evil, in other words, whoever tries to walk in righteousness, what? Becomes a prey. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no what? Justice. How many know that the three-quartered strand to peace, experiencing God's vision for flourishing is righteousness, justice, and truth? Come on, say those with me. Righteousness, justice, and truth. How many know you can't pick and choose which facets you want of the ways, words, and works of God? He comes as a whole package. Without God and his ways weaved into the fabric of our being and existence together, all we're left with is flattery, empty words, deception, greed, manipulation. Come on, somebody. This is no way to live. Therefore, shalom, peace, is not just a personal, private matter. Did you know that how you live, the lie of the devil is how you live only impacts you? How many have seen that lie bear out that it's a lie? All of us. But here, section number three of the psalm. We're closing in. The psalmist, remember, you've saved us, forgiven us, turned from anger. Section two, we need to be revived again. We're a mess. (sighs) Come on. Section three, he gets some wisdom. I will listen to what God the Lord says. 
Come on, somebody say, it's usually a breakdown of listening that leads us down roads of our own demise and destruction. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, you've got two of these for a reason. I will listen to what God the Lord says. Look what the God the Lord says. He promises what? Now, what have we been talking about? Peace. What is peace? Is it just, hey, man, take it easy. I hope I've done better preaching in a sermon and a half than that. He promises fullness, wholeness, completion, fruition, fullness, abundance, peace to his people. That's our God, beloved. To his faithful servants. But let them not turn to what? Folly. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him that his glory, someone say glory, may dwell in the land. Our breakdown, say this with me, our breakdown is always, come on, someone say with gusto, always when we fail to listen to God. Can I get an amen? When we listen to our own flesh, our own desires, our own vision of flourishing, our own scales of justice, our own truth about what is right and wrong, how many know it always ends up in our favor at the expense of everyone around us, except for maybe those that look like us? Come on, but how many know God's vision is greater than man's vision? Come on, when we hear God, what is God saying? I love this. This is good right here. What's God saying? What is God's word over your life right now if you'll tune in and listen and then get in the line with that word that he's speaking over your life? What's God saying right now? Help me out. Peace. 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 What was the announcement when Jesus was born? Peace. What was the 300 plus prophetic promises that he fulfilled by being born and the time that he was born by a virgin? It was so that his peace would rest on those who'd receive his salvation. What was his message over and over to the storms, to the demoniac, to the woman with the issue of blood, to his disciples who were freaked out after his resurrection? What was Jesus's word at every turn? Peace. What do you think God is trying to say? He's trying to say that if you would only listen to me, I will help you straighten out your mess and live a sustained life of wholeness. Come on, somebody, this is a desperate hour for God's people to begin to walk in a kind of peace, in a kind of wholeness and completeness that we don't feel gutted when this happens or this news or that. We can stay in this place, not of cowering down, but a place of arms out, resources shared. We can say, no, 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 I've experienced wholeness. I've got enough because he's enough to go around for everybody in the house. He promises peace. Come on, someone say he promises peace to his people. Wellness, wholeness, justice. But here's the problem. Let them not turn to folly. If you're not going to listen, it implies you're listening to another voice, probably either your voice, which isn't all that great, or the voice of the enemy. What is folly? It's another word for what? Foolish. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Amen? Did you know that how many Christians, okay, I'm going to, this is one of those things, you step on some toes, I'm going to get off the toes, I'm going to heal the toes in the goodness of God, right here. Many of us live as functional atheists, as if there's no God, or worse yet, we live as if we're God. Come on, am I talking to anybody in the house today? That when you get the news and you go to worry land, did you know that the images you and I create when we're in worry land always are a vision of the present and the future without God in them? That's why it's the definition of worry. 
folly is functional atheism. There's so many in our culture that sure, they come right out and say, I don't believe in God, but how many of us live as if the evidence and the fruit of our life is as if there was no God? Come on, somebody. I've been there. I've been there, given into the lies of the enemy. How many have ever given into that lie that you're not, how many, you turn to folly, you turn in on yourself instead of keeping a posture of listening to what God is saying. And I forgot, someone help me out. What is God saying? Peace. Peace. Those who live according to the flesh, the source, someone say, the source of folly, <laughs> right? It's my commentary. Have the mind set on the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit, God, his ways, and their minds set on what the Spirit desires. I look at this amazing conversation. The mind governed, ruling our own little empire of self, by the flesh is what? Come on, any way you skin that cat, it will end in death. But the mind, I love this, governed by the Spirit is what? Come on, who wants life and peace today? Can I get it? Amen. We all want life and peace. But here's the beautiful thing. Life is stinking hard. If, if you agree, say amen. It's just hard. Following Jesus is hard. Can we have a real conversation today? But how many know the mystery to experiencing life as peace is not a mystery. It's been revealed. Set your mind by responding to the grace of God drawing you. Set your mind on what the Spirit wants and the result of your life will be life and peace. It will be life and peace. If you're in a state of folly, Paul just comes right on and says, you can't please God. How many have tried to please God without allowing the truth of who he is and what he's saying to transform the reality in which you're living. Until you receive the truth of God's word in your life and you try to please him, you will be like a chicken with your head cut off. Have I, has, has anyone lived a chicken with your head cut off kind of Christianity besides me? But here's the great promise. You will keep the, the Hebrew, it's, it's shalom, shalom, as if you know, the prophet ran out of words. Look at this, guys. You will keep in shalom, shalom, those whose what? Minds are steadfast because they what? Come on, if you have, if you have kids or grandkids or you just have knucklehead friends or no, normal friends, how do you know someone's heard what you said? Not a trick question. How do I know when my kids heard what I said? When they do what I said, can I get an amen? Excuse me, is this thing on? How do you know when you've someone actually heard what you said? How many know it's the same exact with God? When the Bible uses big words like trust and believe and faith, it is not some mental exercise where you agree to some sort of doctrinal statement. It is that what he is currently saying, I am buying into with all of my life. I'm going to obey it. I'm going in the direction of his voice. How many of us hear, debate, allow the flesh to kind of kick in, and then before you know it, we are not steadfast, and the peace of God isn't guarding our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. We are a mess, and we are being tossed back and forth by the ways of life. But you will keep in shalom, shalom, those whose minds, governed by the Spirit, Paul helps us. Come on, somebody. How many know living in peace and staying in peace is not up to you alone? Because what does this Bible verse say? You will what? Come on, help me. Who's going to keep us in peace, beloved? 
Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, if God's the one keeping me and all I've got to do is keep in that posture of trust, that's a pretty good equation for success. It's good preaching. I'm having fun. I'm having fun. I'm going on three hours of sleep, so get over it. Help me out. I'm just buzzing right now in the Lord. It's so fun. I will listen. Here it is. Man, what if this was our posture, friends? Oh, my goodness. I will listen to what God the Lord says. Come on, say that with me. I will listen to what God the Lord says. And he promises peace to his people. Oh, my goodness. Oh, and there's this little old theological truth. What God speaks, he also creates. Oh, my goodness. Let that sink in. Listen to me. What am I saying? I'm saying peace. We serve a God that in his very words, they carry the weight of creative force. If you and I will live a posture of humble submission, because how many, everybody wants to flourish, just nod your head at me. Everyone wants to experience wholeness and wealth, okay. Most of you all do. The rest of you, we gotta talk. What God speaks, he also creates. Oh, and by the way, Hebrews 1, 3 through 4, he also sustains by that same word he's speaking. Creates and sustains. That's the God we serve Come on, someone say, our God is good. Our God is good. I'm going to skip that. It's really good because we're going to get through this. We're almost done with our psalm. Read this with me. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. The great hope of Christianity is not that God is somewhere out there. The great hope of Christianity is that in every person who responds to this invitation to salvation, this invitation to peace, that every single person who turns from the rebellion toward God as he enables every step and every choice, it's all by his grace. When you and I do that, the great news of Christianity, he makes a home inside of every one of us. How many know the vision, the God wanted to walk with humanity in the garden? Did you know that was his intention from day one? Page one. Shake your head at me. Because of sin, he had to make some provisions because of his holiness. If we were in the presence of his holiness and his perfect righteousness, we would have been fried like chicken or whatever you're cooking for the game later today. And so God, in his great mercy, he banishes the couple when their eyes are open to their sin. And then God, in his mercy, set aside a tent in the wilderness with all kinds of provisions and safeguards so that they wouldn't actually get a vision of his holiness and zap him because he was perfect, radiant, beautiful. And then when they finally built the temple, there was this big old thing that took, I think, 60 guys, like 300 feet, real thick, like a phone book. And there was this huge barrier between God's holiness and glory between sinful humanity. How many know this was God and his goodness because he knew we couldn't take him at full blast? But how many know God's intention and in Christ it is realized that you and I would live in the nearness of his salvation? Preaching the gospel today. God's vision has always been to be amongst his people. 
God does not want to be a distant reality or a distant relative that you only see once or twice a year. He wants his glory to move into your neighborhood, rearrange your furniture, and to stuff you with his presence. That's what we mean by glory. Him. This is salvation. This is glory. And I want you to know that many of us, we live in a culture where we have, a, we have what some, you know, goofies call, you know, humanity's progressing and we're getting better at loving each other. No, we're not. More advanced. We're getting smarter than God. We don't really need him. Come on, somebody. How many know it's folly? I want you to know that the brilliance and beauty of God, he never saves apart from his personal presence. And the reason why a vision for utopian culture and this progressive whatever, and we're figuring it out as humans and we're our own little gods, the reason why that never works is because God, he only saves by showing up and saving us personally. So to have a vision for peace and shalom and justice without the God who can actually enact it, enable it, and sustain it is a foolish vision. It's an impossible vision. Come on, how many know the vision that God has is not an impossibility if he's in the equation? Come on, somebody say, we need him. This is why the narrative of flourishing and equity and all, all these great things, they're just stealing. Uh, one theologian says, we want the kingdom without the king. Come on. I remember I sat with an atheist, this guy, I don't, I don't have time, but about four years ago in a Starbucks, I, I struck up a conversation. He was a genius. His whole world was trying to disprove that we don't re need religion. And so I was really intrigued and he's an author and he's real smart. And I, I proceeded to quote m much of the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus's vision for the kingdom. Come on, somebody, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And I asked him, how would that be bad in a culture? The only reason why that could or would be bad is if we do not receive the king who enacts, enables, and sustains that vision for flourishing. In other words, because we want to stay ruler of our own lives. Am I talking to anyone today? We need the presence of God to enact the peace of God. Beloved, we need God to pull off the vision God has for us to experience. This sounds silly. I know there's cultural wars and I know there's all these different opinions and lies, but I'm telling you as your pastor and leader, we are desperate for a mighty move of God's spirit and presence in our day. For him to overturn our crookedness, our idolatry, we need him to show up and to straighten us out and then fill him with the power and the resources necessary to live out his vision for life. They saw the glory depart, but the hope was that the glory would return, and we know where it returned. Read this with me. It's closing. Love and faithfulness, what? Meet together. Righteousness and peace. I don't know what that looks like, but it's beautiful. Faithfulness, look at this thing, springs from the earth, and what happens? Righteousness looks down from heaven. The psalmist is just riffing right now. He's just getting caught up in the beauty of God. You know what this language is? It's hard for us sometimes if you're not an artsy-fartsy like me. This is garden language. This is heaven and earth fused. Do you see this? This is God's space, our space overlap where you can't tell where our domain begins or ends and his This is God's vision for peace. Whew. Who was the heaven and earth person? Jesus. He's called the door, the gate. 
He's called the way. Amen? Jesus is the overlap. Whoa. Jesus is the only one who lived perfect loyalty, perfect love, perfect righteousness and peace. That's why his life is so compelling and we're still talking about him forever. Because he is the one in and through whom this passage, this beautiful, look at this beautiful picture. It's like love and faithfulness. Oh, it's good to meet you. What's your name? Faithfulness. Oh, I'm love. Did you know what? God can actually make your love faithful, not just flippant. That's the beauty of the new covenant. That was the hope I can give you too many passages was that God in Christ would enable us to love him faithfully. We wouldn't be like that, that squirrel, that character in Up. Oh, squirrel, right, squirrel. Anyone? No? Come on, how many's love is like that? I love you, God, you're amazing. Oh, squirrel, I love you. Am I talking to anybody? Anyone seen all those DreamWorks movies? I mean, I've seen them, okay, so. Does anyone know what I'm talking about about that movie reference? Thank you, for the love of Pete. Help me, I'm drowning. But the vision that God has, the vision of shalom, the way he's going to transform is when love and faithfulness meet. It's nice to meet you, I'm faithfulness. I'm love. We were always meant to be together. Righteousness, the character, the conduct, the life that God commands and demands and enables, and peace, shalom, they kiss. Faithfulness springs up, righteousness looks down. Guys, this is what God wants to do in our church, in our city, in our families, in our marriages, in our friendships. He wants us to live at the intersection in Christ where heaven's agenda and the earth's are in harmony. If you don't believe me, why did he tell us? When he, you know, he could have told us how to pray anyway, but central was what? Your what? Your kingdom come. Your will be on where? Someday out there, like 800 years from now, 5 billion. Where? Come on, somebody. On earth. This is God's vision for shalom, the overlap of heaven and earth, fused together in the person of Jesus. We all know Oh, I like that. That was a clever line, I thought. The marriage of heaven and earth produces the offspring of, you see that language? That's, I think, what the psalmist is getting at. It's all big, beautiful, you know, metaphor language. But how many want the offspring of peace in your life? Come, come on, all of us do. When God saw that there was no one, when he saw that there was no one to intervene, he stepped in to history in his son. He achieved, Isaiah 56, 19, salvation by his own arm. When, when God, throughout the ages, looked down from heaven for someone who would embody that beautiful embrace of peace and righteousness, kissing and love and faithfulness meeting, when God looked Throughout the ages, he knew that there would only be one who would be able to stand on that street with perfect integrity, never betraying his own ideals and ideas of what flourishing looks like. And when God saw his son and his son intervened and stood in that place of faithful love, of righteousness and peace, embracing 
when he had enacted and lived out God's full and perfect vision of what it means to flourish as an image bearer of God himself, that the only one who didn't deserve death took on death so that death would no longer have free reign to destroy and vandalize God's vision for flourishing. I say it like this. Come on, somebody. Shalom stepped in, and his name is Jesus Christ. I'm done. That's good. I'm happy. The only faithful one is King Jesus. The only sinless, spotless. The only one to walk in total peace, righteousness, faithfulness to God and his ways becomes the only means through which justice, righteousness, and peace can come to bear in our world. (laughs) Jesus has become the sole source of our salvation. And by salvation, I'm including all of the beautiful words of peace. You cannot have the life Jesus displayed and died to make a reality apart from Jesus being in the middle of your life, transforming you and enabling you to live out his vision of peace. And then the psalmist ends. I mean, it doesn't end that bad. The Lord will give, the Lord will indeed give what is what? And our land will what? Yield his harvest. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. I don't know where you find yourself in this psalm. Are you in the first stanza? You're doing great. All the six perfects, he's restored me, I'm happy. Are you in the middle stanza? Lord, uh, I did it again. I, I stopped listening. I thought I knew what was best. But you can restore me again. You're the God of resurrection. Even when I feel like all in me is dead and all around me is hopeless, you can speak a word and life can come out of the rubble. Do you find yourself in the last stanza? You're setting your heart, chatty. I want to listen to what God's saying and I want to live in light of what he's saying, who he is. Maybe you're here today and you've just been a, you've not been all that interested of entering into a covenant with God. That's what that peace, righteousness, kiss meeting is all. It's a covenant he wants to make with us today. It's marriage language. Everyone say it's marriage language. He wants to be one with us, which is crazy. I've got all sorts of quirks and and weirdness. I don't know about you, but God, he wants me. I'm here to tell you the good news that God, he wants you. He's removed all of the rubble through his son so that you could... Whatever path you're on could turn and respond to his faithful love, pursuing you, drawing you to himself. Maybe you're here today and you're crying out for restoration, for revival, and your family, and your friendships, and your health. I don't know. Maybe you're here today in the land, metaphorically, you know you're not 
producing the harvest and the yield that you know God has placed in you and your redemptive potential. You know that there's more in God. There's more grace to experience. There's more presence of God to enable you to begin to experience the fruitfulness that he has for your vocation, for your life. The great hope is faithfulness and love have met. Righteousness and peace have kissed. And now through the only faithful one, he can enable us to become faithful ones.